Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. series of crimes in America. Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Alright guys, happy Halloween, and welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host Jimbo, and joined once again by this lovable goofball. It's me, Kyle. Kyle. Um, we hope everybody's having a great day and a good Halloween. Stupendous uh, holiday. This is our Halloween special, which we do every year. If you Spooky. listen to the Hillbilly Horror Stories Halloween Spectacular, we did a little 10-minute coverage of this on their Halloween show. But yes, this is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ooh. But Kyle, before we start... Let's give you a question. Okay, I am all ears, Jimbo. Hit me. Kyle, if you were one of the characters in this movie, which one would you be? The dead one. I don't know. I'd want to be the wheel curly eyes so and not to walk around everywhere. <laughs> the wheel Franklin? Yeah, Franklin. <laughs> he might be the most annoying character. I was going to say that to you were anyway. Because I just whined. <laughs> 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 
yeah, it's gonna come together. Oh, it's hilarious. You know, it's secretly uh, a comedy. Before we get to, I just want to throw this out there at the beginning. But when I was watching this, and he was in the wheelchair, you know, and, and he's telling uh, what's her name, the the lady, Sally. Sally or, yeah. yeah, he's like, "Come back!" All I can think of was that kid from Christmas Story with his tongue stuck to the flagpole. Come back, go leave me. So, so Kyle, bad. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw so Massacre, awful. let's go ahead and take it away. All right, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Jimbo, that was released in 1974, rated R for being a good old horror movie at 83 minutes in length. The uh, It was directed by Toby Hooper. The writers were Kim Hinkle and Toby Hooper for the screenplay. Um, next up, we have the producers. We have Toby Hooper as producer. Composers were Wayne Bell and Toby Hooper again. <laughs> Cinematographer was Daniel Purr. And editors were J. Larry Carroll and Sally Richardson. Next up, going on going to the budget, we're going to have a budget of $300,000, which would be the equivalent of $1.67 million of today's money. Next up, we have the gross earnings. Came up to $30 million. Actually, $30,860,000, actually. So, closer to $31 million. And that would amount to a crazy $171.7 million today. That's crazy. Inflation is insane, Jimbo. And, and just think, if we covered this in 10 more years, what it would be. It <laughs> be a trillion. Like Inflation's gone insane. It's all going out of control. Let's get a political podcast going real soon. <laughs> but yes, your paychecks remain the same. <laughs> You'll be paid nothing, but everything will be so much more expensive. Trust me. There won't uh, be no dollar menu at McDonald's anymore. It'll exactly. be like the $10 dollar menu. It'll be the million menu. <laughs> um, once again, actually, a more specific release date, we have October 11th of 1974. Then, uh, moving on to the technical details, we have a runtime of 83 minutes, um, 75 minutes in Germany actually, for edited reasons and 88 minutes for the unrated edition next up, the sound mix was a pure mono mix, so just single noise profile going on um, the color info was that it was full color aspect ratio was 1.85 by 1 camera was a Bullex HR16 the um, negative format was 16mm, the Eastman Ectochrome 25T 725-52 Process was spherical, and the print format was 35 millimeters blown up. And let's see here. We're going on to the awards. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Excellent. Channeling interns right there. Yeah, I feel good about it. I did a good job. I'm proud of myself. It was nominated for the Saturn Award by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in the U.S. of A. And it was also a nominated for the Avarez Fantastic Film Festival in 1976. And uh, it, uh, it was uh, nominated for Grand Prize for Toby Hooper, and it won the Critics Award by for Toby Hooper. Yay, good for him. Next up, we have my favorite part, the part I cover all the time, the cast. So we're going forward here. We have Marilyn Burns playing the main character, Sally. She appeared in multiple films throughout the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, franchise, including stuff like The Next Generation and the um, 2013 reboot, Texas Chainsaw 3D. No, um, no relation to Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yeah, no relation to Mr. Burns. Yeah, Marilyn Burns. Um, also appeared in the TV miniseries Helter Skelter, and most recently in the 2017 film In a Madman's World. Next up, we have Alan Danziger playing Jerry. He appeared in the 1969 film Eggshells and will appear in the film Cannibal Comedian premiering later this year. That sounds I, 
humorous <laughs> fun fact actually I, I dove into a little bit of what's going on with Campbell Comedian it seems to be a straight up Texas Chainsaw parody where oh, the no. Leatherface plays a comedian a stand up comedian while also being Leatherface in his state of day job it looks really dumb in a very good way so. <laughs> all the best for Alan Dan- Danziger there and I think I might be another cast member here playing that role too um, next up we have Paul A. Parton part, playing Franklin um, he appeared in 1975 film Race of the Devil and the 1977 film Rolling Thunder and in the 1970, 1997 film Burying Lana. Next up we have William Vale playing Kirk. He appeared in the 1982 film Poltergeist. You may have heard that one. <laughs> the 1983 film Mausoleum and the 1988 film Glitch. Going forward we have Terry McMinn playing Pam. Um, she appeared again relatively recently in films such as the 2009 film *The Cellar*, the 2012 film uh, *2012 film Butcher Boys*. What a great title! And will appear later in the 2021 film *Awakening*, which is another horror film coming out pretty soon. Um, going forward, we have Edward Neal playing the hitchhiker. Um, he is he could be seen in the film um, 1985 film *Future Kill*, the 1993 film *My Boyfriend's Back*. <laughs> And uh, the 1978 film, Gotcha Man the Movie. Gotcha Man the Movie. Never heard of that one. <laughs> I think it's about paints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, next, we have Jim Cito playing the old man. Um, he was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 um, in 1986. In 1980, he played. He was in the movie Hot Wine. Uh, Hot Wire, sorry. No, Hot Wine. Hot Wire. R's and N's. I, I write this down physically. <laughs> and the next up, we have the 1987 film Amazing Stories. Then we have John Duggan playing the grandfather. Hacksaw uh, Jim Duggan? Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Remember, 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 remember. Um, anyways, he was in the film. He was in 1994 Texas Chainsaw Massacre film The Next Generation. He was also in the 2008 film Hellophone. And the 20... <laughs> I know, I know. And I believe... Uh, <laughs> and the uh, last film he appeared in was All Sinners Night. And next up, we have, of course, we have uh, Gunnar Hansen playing Leatherface. The 1991 film, uh, so he also recognized playing in the 1991 film Campfire Tales, the 2006 film Swarm of the Snakehead, and the 2013 reboot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, also known as Chainsaw Massacre 3D. And that is the cast of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Very, very good, Kyle. So, A lot of Kyle, <laughs> if I'm going to tell you, give me the synopsis of this movie, how are you going to present it? Uh, I'm gonna say um, in route, uh, some hitch- uh, some <laughs> college students are basically going on a road trip, basically, and they pick up a random hitchhiker, and then the hitchhiker assaults them, and then proceeds to take um, shelter at an un- at what they believe it to be an abandoned home, and discover it's not abandoned at all, and actually a secret family of cannibals is gonna hunt them down and try and kill them, and then presumably eat them afterwards. That is the synopsis of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't do synopsis really well. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, it wasn't abandoned home. It was one of their family's home, remember? Oh, that's right. And then a... they go down the thing. So mm-hmm. so here we go. We're going to talk a little bit about this movie. Um, this was... This might be one of the original horror movies, if you will, before Freddy came along, before Jason came along, before Michael Myers came along, before mm-hmm. Chucky came along. So um, the thing about this movie is... This is at a time where the less that you saw on screen, the more scarier it is. 
um, yeah. for the time. So uh, we talked about this a little bit off air. We'll talk about it probably towards the end of this uh, episode. But um, So just know that going in that it's not going to be all the blood and guts and everything that you're used to seeing. There's some of that, <laughs> but um, it's not... Uh, as grimy and gritty as uh, horror movies are today. Yeah, very little is explicitly shown. It's more about the implication of what um, you assume is going it, on in the background. It was so much so that um, Toby Hooper was going to make this a PG movie mm-hmm. um, because he wanted to keep the violence moderate and the language very mild. And, you know, um, like we said, most of the horror off screen. Uh, but uh, during the plan, it actually backfired on him. And it made the film even more horrifying at the time. Because despite cutting and repeated submissions, the ratings were insisted on an X rating. And it wasn't until the film received the R rating when Hooper gave up and released it. Hooper had a similar ratings problem with the sequel. So it's very interesting to see what they could and could not get away with back then as to... Uh, because it probably would be rated PG today compared to some of the stuff that's out there today. Yeah, and so much of it, like you know, this is kind of like a you know the very beginning of like what we call a slasher fic of what defined what horror was for those like basically thirty years of cinema at that point. When you consider like Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger and all those kind of characters, so it's really interesting to see like this kind of like um, sets a lot of the kind of the ground rules that even people like the Motion Picture Association of America and people like and other companies kind of like what what constitutes a horror movie and like what makes it like is it just the explicit stuff that makes it um qualify for like an r rating or a pg rating or an x rating or is it just the implication and that's where they kind of had a problem of trying to get this movie rated the way it was Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to see like how those rules got defined because of this movie um you may uh recognize the voice at the introduction where they are talking about this film is actually uh, based on true events in texas blah 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 it's actually a famous actor, John Lorquette, uh, famous for Night Court, if you will. Uh, he, his payment, he said, for doing the opening narration was a marijuana joint. So, <laughs> hey, he didn't take much. And also, he's also stated that he has never actually watched this movie. So, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, it feels like a movie like a lot, a lot of people could easily dismiss. But if you had, a, the time, but if you had a cameo or a voiceover in something, wouldn't you watch at least once? Uh, if I was a full-time actor who had like regular work, I probably wouldn't care that much. If it was just my, if it was the only movie I was ever in, yes, I would definitely watch Kyle, it. I've seen your, I am uh, your voodoo. I'm sure you had bought the movie at least. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I, 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 of course I'd buy, but I buy all movies, so yeah, it doesn't mean I watch it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Marilyn Burns, whose character was chased by Leatherface through the undergrowth and the branches and the trees, uh, she actually cut herself really bad, and uh, what you see on her clothes is actually real blood um, on her clothes, which is. Um, very interesting in itself. Yeah. Um, kind of one of the problems with the times, like, especially of the 70s, so like that, too. Like, so many, like, you know, like, we talked about this, especially in the early movies, like, the 1920s or the 40s, something like that, too. Even in the 70s, like, so many actors get, like, really, really bad injuries that they could have been avoided. You know, right. still a sad part of the industry. So, like, we're doing a lot better today, having actors be usually pretty safe. <laughs> uh, usually. This soundtrack had no sounds from musical instruments except. We, uh, as we said on the Hillbilly Horror Stories thing, they had some copyrighted material that they had access to and the rights to, so they used that. But most of the sounds that you hear from the soundtrack are actually what an animal would hear and sound like inside of a slaughterhouse. So that's very interesting. This, this, <laughs> this fact right here, man, I just sit back and I laugh because uh, for the script that was given to Leatherface, <laughs> the director gave Gunner Hanson script it was just written in gibberish 
And he's like, tell me what this means. And he's like, well, we'll figure it out. So that's what you think wanted, it is, man. He wanted, he wanted the actor to get used to trying to portray something and, and communicate something without actually being told what was written down. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is especially seen when the uh, old man comes home and starts yelling at Leatherface about the door. Hans remembers a take where he communicated a little too verbally. Hooper told him there was too much intelligence in that character line. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and Hans said that was my only one chance to have a line in the movie. And he said he got taken away. Yeah. Um, when this film was first released in theaters, it was so horrifying that people actually walked out on the sneak preview of it. Mm-hmm. So, I can I, I understand being definitely like if I'd never seen anything like this before, being like thoroughly disturbed. Well, it's kind of like, like The Exorcist, um, which we'll talk about uh, probably in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, director Toby uh, Hooper uh, allowed uh, Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface, to develop the character as he saw fit under his supervision, of course. Um, so Hansen decided that Leatherface was actually mentally handicapped and never learned to talk properly. So he actually went to a school for mentally handicapped and watched how they moved and listened to them talk to get a feel for the character. Um, he also tried his best to make his portrayal as non-offensive as he could. Um, but many fan, many fans, including those who are mentally handicapped, say that he did a really good job and succeeded at what he tried to do. It's a very fine. It's a very fine line to kind of walk and to kind of like get that kind of balance. And so it's it's very admirable that he took the effort to um, try and balance it out properly. And right. Because because it could be you know it, it's. It's a kind of a balance between like portraying some kind of uh, almost a childlike innocence, also with that sycophant, monstrous violence too, and trying to balance those two things is incredibly right. difficult. But, but you man, know. you've you got to walk a fine line with that because you, you don't want to be so offensive to yeah, some yeah. people, and then you and, see what I'm and, and, and also like in like, so many other horror films specifically fail that very specific like like not even like mentally handicapped mentally disturbed like how many insane asylums have been depicted as like horror houses when actual mental asylums are just like well if you look like <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest which we did yeah you see how they were treated too so so then that might be more the caretaker's fault than it is the people's fault. Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things like it's a. But you, we got to remember this is a long time ago, and a lot of things have changed. Hopefully for the better since it, that. Most happened, of it so. has undoubtedly, but still, it's a very fine balance to make. And so, like, it, he took a very, um, a very progressive um, uh, 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 motivation towards actually getting a good portrayal going. That's not offensive, and so I really, I admire them for doing that. After getting into the old age makeup, John Duggan, not Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but John Duggan, John Duggan, decided that he never wanted to go through that process ever again, meaning that all the scenes with him had to be filmed in the same session before he could take the makeup off. This entire process took about 36 hours, five of which took to put the makeup on him during a brutal summer heat wave where the average temperature was over 100 degrees a large portion of it spent filming the dinner scene with him wearing a heavy suit and necktie, sitting in a room filled with dead animals and rotting food with no air conditioner or electric fans. Everyone later recalled that the stench from the rotting food and people's body odor was so terrible that some crew members passed out or became sick from the smell. 
Edwin Neal, who played the hitchhiker, claimed filming that scene was the worst time of my life, and I have been in Vietnam with people trying to kill me. So I guess that shows how bad it really was. That's uh, yeah. I mean, like, how many movies you've done before? Where, like the problem makeup artists, like they have like they have to come in like at four a.m. or two a.m. or something like that to have makeup served on them. Like talking, it's always the most miserable experience of their life. But for thirty six straight hours, yeah, there's just like like that's how much like that's like perspective like how much worse it could be. Where like he just didn't want to put the makeup on again because like he's trapped in this house with rotten meat and everyone else is just like all these awful smells and heat and so like it's like even the best case scenarios even now for like prop makeup artists those can be a really grueling and horrific kind of experiences created all the makeup on look look like a monster properly and so like for him to do that in like the 70s and all those conditions oh i couldn't imagine how horrible that'd be i'd want to die too <laughs> well we both worked in a automobile factory and it'd get hot in there in the middle of summer have, yeah imagine being speeding for 36 hours like that yeah it'd be terrible wearing, wearing an extra piece of skin over your face <laughs> well the mask now you know what i mean oh yeah so, you get the mask now yeah right. well, i i i i got out for the, the mask stuff <laughs> Um, due to the low budget of this film, Gunnar Hansen only had one shirt to wear as Leatherface, which blows my mind. The shirt had been dyed, so it could not be washed. Hansen had to wear it for four straight weeks in filming in the hot and humid Texas summer. I bet that shirt could stand up on his own by the end of that shoot. Uh, <laughs> by the end of the shooting, no one wanted to stand there. Hansen or sit next to him during breaks to eat lunch because his clothing smells so bad. Can you imagine trying to eat your lunch? In your own filth, uh, it would be terrible. Absolutely, like everything about filming this movie, like if not like not totally dangerous, but absolutely disgusting. Just like oh man, miserable, miserable movie to film. I'm sure. So to- <clears throat> Toby Hooper, the director, wanted to use a stunt double for, or she, they did use a stunt double for Sally's leap when she jumps out of the window, but. Uh, Marilyn Burns actually hurt herself shooting the intro of her falling to the ground. So he didn't want to hurt her by having her jump out the window, but she ends up hurting herself anyway when she does Dang if you do, dang if you don't, you know? <laughs> um, even in his lift boots, Gunnar Hansen could run faster than Marilyn Burns, so he had to do some random things when he was chasing her through the woods. Got slicing at the tree branches in the background. So It kind of plays into his madness, too, so it works for the, works the scenes. Um Marilyn Burns actually persuaded Gunnar Hansen to accept the role of Leatherface because originally he had turned it down for the sheer brutality of it. Um, so he accepted after she came along and talked to him about it. So um, Gunnar Hansen said that during filming he didn't get along very well with Paul A. Parton, who played Franklin. And that guy, whew, he might be the worst character. He might be worse than Leatherface in this movie. <laughs> a few years later, he met Parton again and realized that Parton, a method actor, has simply chosen to stay in character even when not filming. The two remain good friends up until Parton's death, so um, R.I.P. Well, it's good to know I had a happy ending, basically. You know, I've done personally. That's good. Um, Marilyn Burns' clothing was so drenched in fake blood that it was virtually solid by the last day's shoot. Oh, gross. Uh, Gunnar Hansen hit his head on doorways and other objects several times during the shoot because his leather face mask severely limited his peripheral vision, and the three-inch heels he wore made him six-foot-four frame really high and too high to clear all the obstacles of the house. Yeah, he definitely looks like uh, intentionally awkward and just like doesn't really want, doesn't really fit in that house in a, in a really cool way. It makes him a little more terrifying too because it just doesn't fit in the environment around him, I think. The original location known as the Sawyer House has been completely changed. It's now an open field with no indication there had ever been a house there. The house itself has been relocated and fully restored though. It is now operated as a Grand Central Cafe formerly known as Junction House Restaurant on the grounds of Antlers Hotel Complex at 1010 King Street 
in Kingsland, Texas. So if any of our listeners uh, are close to there and would like to send us a picture on Facebook, that'd be interesting to see. That's a very, yeah, it's a house set a more interesting journey than the film. But not only that, but the food is still there on the table. Exactly. <laughs> it's still right to the stench. You can handle the stench. <laughs> yeah. um, according to The Hitchhiker, uh, which was played by Edwin Nill, uh, Texas State Troopers actually shook his hand and thanked him for causing crime to drop 18%. Apparently, the message audiences took away from this movie was, don't pick up hitchhikers. That's <laughs> <laughs> some pretty good advice for the right. 70s, honestly. Right. <laughs> um, the gas station the kids stopped at and was brought uh, was bought by the uh, from the family of, for, of the original owners and is being renovated and turned to a Texas Chainsaw Massacre Horror Campground. The new owner is in the process of finding and purchasing as many original or contemporary period pieces for the resort. The owner is Roy Rose. He is putting in a restaurant, a music venue, and also an overnight cabins. Oh, wow. Someone's a big fan. We're going we're gonna to have to take a road trip, Kyle. Exactly. We get right on that. <laughs> Leatherface uh, did not only wear just one mask. He actually had three different masks for this movie. He had the killing mask, if you will. He had the old lady mask, and he had the pretty woman mask. Gunnar <laughs> Hansen commented the reason he wore a mask uh, about the different ones that he put on. He said, well, he said, the old lady mask is when I was uh, wearing an apron carrying a wooden spoon. The pretty woman outfit consists of a female wig and a black suit as Leatherface is dressing up for dinner. And the killing mask is the skin mask he wears while chasing and murdering captives. So, you know, Leatherface wants to express itself, you know, as anyway he wants to choose. It's just so yeah. funny, you know, he's in the kitchen cooking, man. I crack up every time, you know, yeah. I mean, he's getting beat by well, now you know. <laughs> um, The film's original budget was only $60,000. During the editing process, though, the filmmakers incurred an additional $80,000 in cost recording that they sell off portions of their ownership in the film's royalties. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. It's rough. Uh, Leatherface's teeth were prosthetics made especially for Gunnar Hansen by his dentist. Aesthetics, yeah. Pronunciations. Prosthesis. Oh, yeah. I forget how this one's spelled weird. So. Prosthesis. Um, so Entertainment Weekly magazine voted this as the second scariest movie all time behind what, Kyle? <gasps> Was it The Exorcist? The Exorcist. Ha ha, I got it. I'm so proud of myself. Uh, most of the characters actually never met Gunnar Hansen, let alone see him in his costume before their first scene with him. In the movie, so some of the sheer horror that they see is legit. Is like, thing? oh my god, that yeah. is as a man. <laughs> uh, during the filming of the dinner scene, it was actually broad daylight outside with no air conditioning inside of the house. This meant that they had to blackout curtains, which only made the house hotter. Many of the actors have said that they would go outside and vomit, only to come back in and finish recording. Not surprised at all. Everything about this movie sounds like horrifying, horrible film. Some urban legends, you know there's always a good urban legend with horror movies, says that the real Texas Chainsaw Massacre took place near Poth, a small town about 36 miles southeast of San Antonio. This is false. The film is fictional and based loosely on the life of Wisconsin serial killer Ed Gein, as in the classic Psycho 1960, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Buffalo Bill in the movie that we covered recently, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. You know, Ed Gein, like, that, that Dexton, like, oh, like, Ed Gein, like, he defiled old, already dead corpses. He didn't kill people to eat them simply, like, yeah. But that's just <laughs> serial killer knowledge. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro became a vegetarian after seeing this film. So. <laughs> uh, him. Everyone had positive changes after watching this film. Kyle, in case you wanted to go to Home Depot after this, the chainsaw used in this film was a Poland 245A with a piece of black tape covering the Poland logo. Uh, to avoid a possible lawsuit. 
That's thinking ahead. <laughs> uh, one of the crew members, Dorothy Pearl, accidentally injected herself in the leg with formaldehyde while preparing one of the props. That's uh, that's not good. Oops. Sh- shouldn't do that. <laughs> and that's that's the biggest <laughs> oops of the day. Yeah. Uh, originally, it had a two-week shooting schedule, but filming ultimately took four weeks. Uh, so that, so here you see another movie that is being shot very quickly. Oh, um, yeah. Instead definitely. of months and months, it's, it was supposed to be a two weeks. Well, there's not really a lot of sets they had to build. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it was on location. So Only like three major, you know, like the road and the house and like the shed that Sally gets to eventually. It's and about to one there. of Marilyn Burns' final interviews before her death, she stated that she would take the clothes and wore during filming with her to the wash. When she returned to the laundromat after one particular wash, she discovered the purple shirt and a few other copies of it had been stolen from the dryer. That's why you always stay with your clothes in the laundromat. Yep. Luckily, the store had been uh, had purchased them uh, from. Hang on. Luckily, the store she had purchased them from had one left. Oh gosh! But it was one size larger. With no other options, she had to buy it and wear only that shirt for the rest of the filming. So not only Leatherface, now we got her that has to be. And this stinky, stinky. Just trapped thing. in their clothes. Uh, this is ranked uh, number one in Slant Magazine's top 100 greatest movies of uh, horror movies of all time. As we stated in the Hillbilly Horror Stories episode, only one person is actually killed by a chainsaw in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still, like, the throat of the chainsaw is everything we knew. <laughs> That's, you know, it, uh, like- it is the biggest grossing independent film until Halloween, uh, four years later in 1978. Very impressive considering it's modest budget, even for the time. Terry McMahon was paid just $700 for appearance in this film. Gunnar Hansen, he only earned $100 more, so not a big payoff for $800, them. So, right. $800, money, probably, what would that be? It's, yeah, that's $50 million, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Inflation is uh, insane. The longest that Terry McMahon could comfortably hang on the meat hook was just one minute. I mean, being on a meat hook at all, I don't think I could last that long. I don't even know how they necessarily put him on the meat hook. Like <laughs> his role as Leatherface marked the first and only time that Gunnar Hansen shaved off his beard. He never shaved it again. Hmm. It's very interesting. That's yeah, the Leatherface man's man right there. The Leatherface name and gimmick were used by many professional wrestling promotions as a tribute to the film. The characters were first used in Memphis Wrestling and has been done in many promotions by a variety of wrestlers, including Michael Kirkner. Rick Patterson, Brian Harris, Dennis Knight, and Ken Raper. Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling FMW in Japan sometimes called the character Super Leather. <laughs> Super Leather. Super Leather. Super Leather. Kyle, that's your Man, new nickname. That's, that's a future band name, fat-haired one. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Gunnar Hansen I, I noticed that right the <laughs> first time he appeared on camera and how nervous he was before doing the shot. Even though it was a rubber hammer, he struck actor William Bell very hard over the head, then proceeded to roughly throw him headfirst against the wall behind him, so... Um, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, <laughs> so like, you just, can you imagine your first, first like scene of the movie? You're overhyped and knock yeah. the guy out for real. That'd be. Gunnar Hansen could barely see in his leather face mask. He remembers his first take when he was carrying Terry McMahon and knocking himself out cold after hitting the door frame to his workshop. <laughs> Toby Hooper jokes it made a great sound effect though, and all I can picture is um, if you remember in Star Wars where the stormtrooper cracks his head. Yeah, yeah, but even louder thud, uh, more aggressive, just like right in there, just. Stop. Oh, that, no. There were actually two working titles for this film. Kyle, one was Stalking Leatherface. Stalking And the other one, Head Cheese. <laughs> cheese. I heard the Head Cheese line, actually. Yeah, that's a good one. The animal corpses strewn throughout the Sawyer house were borrowed from a local veterinarian. 
Near the end of production, the question of how to get rid of the corpses came up. Toby Hooper remembers someone piling up behind the house and setting them on fire. <laughs> I mean, I bet that smelled great too. <laughs> yeah, uh, no pet cemetery here. This, this is including, in the course, the one thousand one movies you must see before you die. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is what inspired Ridley Scott to make Alien in 1979. Some people haven't even called it Alien, a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. That, I can see it. Yeah, I, I can see where they get that from. Yeah, I definitely see that. And that inspiration, definitely, especially. Mm-hmm. So, Leatherface, poor guy, um, he had to wear that mask all the time. And they said, hey, you know, you can take this off during when we have breaks of... 15, 15 minutes, minutes or longer. Or longer, right. Yeah. But, unfortunately, every break they took was only ever announced as a five-minute break, so he never got to take the mask off while filming. Poor guy, man. <laughs> All through Pure production, misery. Gunnar Hansen would ask Toby Hooper how he was going to get the shot of Leatherface getting hit in the head with a wrench and slicing into his own leg with the chainsaw. Hooper would respond that they would eventually figure it out, since it was one of the last shots of the movie. So Hansen finally put two and two together and says, I finally realized what he meant. If you're killed... We've got the movie in the can. It's all matters. Uh, for the shot, uh, Hansen had a metal plate in his leg, but the heat of the chainsaw hitting it caused him to think he had been directly hit in the leg with it. So that's when he jerks up immediately. That's probably an honest reaction of him like, oh, God, I've just been killed. So Paul Pertain and uh, Marilyn Burns, who was Paul Pertain, Kyle? Paul Pertain was Franklin. And who was Marilyn Burns? Marilyn Burns was... I already know that one's outside. <laughs> uh, they actually didn't like each other, so much of their bickering on the film is genuine. <laughs> so I can understand that, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, were they brother and sister, too? Um, in the film, I believe so, but in the uh, non-real life. Non-real life there, Kyle, of course not. Uh, Gunnar Hansen went on to the set before it was time for his scenes to be shot so he could get a feel for it. He remembered the actors playing the teenagers all referred to each other off-camera by their character names. They did this in order to get more into their part, but that also meant that they didn't want to have anything to do with Hanson. If they were all going to be the people they were as characters, and they didn't want to know the guy who was going to kill them, he explains that. And because I smelled so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just like all these actors, like like I, the majority of them were like early actors. This is like their like only first or only roles for like even a twenty year span at most. So it's clearly they're trying multiple methods of like different kind of method acting or like um like traditional acting in this kind of situation. So like they're trying a little bit of everything to try and get in their role a little better. And that's a good way of actually doing it for right. an early actor, especially. So trying uh, a little bit of everything. Gunner answer recalls shooting the sequence where they cut Sally's finger, try feeding the blood to grandpa. <laughs> the tube that shot the fake blood kept getting clogged. And finally, after several takes without the tube working right, Hanson simply slices Marilyn Burns finger open. And the reason was he explains at this point, we were insane. He proceeds to explain his only desire at that point in shooting was to get the film done. He didn't care about his fellow actors' well-being, and this sequence was shot in the back end of a 27-hour workday. He also notes that there isn't much acting going on in the dinner scene anyway, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the second you say 27 hours, it's like... For me, the moment after... Like, well, we both worked for it. The moment after, like, 11 and a half hours, that's for sure getting a little bit antsy. <laughs> yeah, you get that downtime. <laughs> it's like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, don't I wonder how many second and third wins they got into. At that point, yeah, after, like... after. <laughs> Once you hit that 20th hour, you hit that second kind of like lucid state of just like, I'm in a euphoric. And you wonder, like, I'm, right, you wonder if they started seeing things and all that too, you know. For just, I feel like you'd have to yeah. at a certain point. No. Uh, for Pam's meat hook scene, uh, Terry McMahon was actually held up by a nylon cord that went between her legs, which were padded with maxi pads, Kyle. 
<laughs> Despite the padding, it was still quite painful. She decided to use that pain to make her performance more believable. Impressive. So, Kyle, give me your thoughts on The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a film that I personally didn't enjoy watching. <laughs> Just was this your first time watching it? Yes, it was. First time really watching it. And uh, I feel like I can definitely recognize that, like, oh, there's clearly, you know, you can see how, like, dozens of other films have clearly drawn inspirations from The Chainsaw Massacre, and this sets so many of the ground rules for essentially the, you know, for, like, what is essential to a slasher movie. Um, but also, like, kind of thing where, like, it's kind of like watching, like, if you watched every other star, if you watched every other sci-fi movie before you watched Star Wars, when you watch Star Wars, then it's just all like so um, cliche at that point. Watching Chainsaw Massacre, same thing, same thing to me. Where like everything about it is just kind of like cliche slasher to me, or um, needlessly gratuitous and just like let's show you this one kind of like semi-gross image of an animal, like a rotting corpse or rotting meat. And, like, oh, aren't you disturbed by that? And so it was one of those things. You're like, I was like, I can see like how this was like the start of a lot of really cool things. But I just taken on its own, kind of bored tears. <laughs> just kind of honestly, and like I feel like the acting overall was just like slasher movie acting. <laughs> so I was like definitely like very amateur in, in to be to be nice to it, very amateur um, to at times inspired kind of like the so bad it's good to around there. But overall, it's still like it's not really a film I enjoyed watching um, outside of its historical context. You know, with its historical context, then it's like interesting to see like where everything came from and where it all went. But outside of that, I could not care less. That's my opinion of the film. I, I if if you like horror history, absolutely watch it. You'll find things to enjoy and appreciate about it. But um, if you don't, if if you just if you just see the film out there and you don't care at all about horror, you know, you just like watch the occasional horror movie, you're probably not going to enjoy this. Um, that's so overall like very small recommendation at that point. Jimbo, how'd you feel? You got me speechless, Kyle. No. <laughs> I, I went everywhere, I know. Yeah. Um, this is a way to shoot a horror film without it actually being a horror film. Um, mm. One of the greatest icons in horror movie history, Leatherface, uh, is always brought up with the big, you know, with Chucky, uh, Jason, Freddy, Michael Myers, and Leatherface is always in there because he's such a cult I think this became more of a cult classic if you will uh, for horror films um, but the first time you see Leatherface man is when that guy goes in the house you know and that door you know he's walking that door and you're, he hits him yeah. on the head with that uh, hammer um, then from then on out it it's it's pretty good I mean and then to see where he, she she walks in the one girl walks in and he grabs her and he she's running the house and he grabs her and he drags her back into the house you know, I mean, she's screaming, and then he throws her on the meat hook while uh, she's getting, or her boyfriend at that point mm -hmm. is getting chainsawed on the table, you know, cut up. Um, I thought it was very well done. Um, and, and, you know, for the time, I'm sure it was really scary because, you know, uh, you had different serial killers and stuff like that. And I think we've become so, uh, I don't want to say desensitized, right? Mm -hmm. Desensitized, spoiled. Um, because people want more and more of the horror blood Explicitly and guts. shown, yeah. Right, and, and I think this was a way to do it without doing it. Yeah. And yeah. and they probably couldn't have got away with stuff they get away with today back then because of the rating system and all that, too. I mean, as you can see, he was just trying to make a PG movie, and he kept trying to cut down. They still wanted to give him an X-rated... Yeah, just for the implication. Because, like, right. like, if, like if, if, you know, because... 
if you're fully immersed in the film, which I wasn't, that's that's on me to to a big degree. I wasn't fully immersed. I wasn't engaging with the film on its own merits. That's on me to not enjoy the film. Maybe I'll go back sometime and actually love it. Who knows? But like watching, like I bet if you're fully immersed and then like you see the moment where Leatherface grabs the woman and pulls her back into the house as soon as right before escapes, like that's a horrifying image in your imagination. Like what's going to happen next? And that's the moment where like all your fear will boil up inside of you. We're just like. Clearly, something wrong is going to happen. You have that very, um, that that very primal fear of just like that is clearly a predator about to attack someone who is a person who is a person with emotion, and like that is very disturbing to anyone to watch. Right. Well, know, so. and, and also when he hits the guy, the Peter, I think was his name, the first time and drags him. Well, you don't see what happens to him. Yeah. So you don't know what's going on with this guy. All you know is this big guy in an apron looks scary, hit him, and then when he drags that girl in and hangs her on the meat hook. And then it's game on. You're like, oh, this is going back quick. Yeah. And I think another um, thing that you got to remember is at the beginning of the movie, when they go to the gas station, they all get them barbecue sandwiches. And then later in the movie, you come to realize when she runs back to the gas station and you see the human body parts human body parts are being grilled yeah. being grilled in the, the oven then you finally realize oh they probably ate human remains back in the thing because they were still in bodies from the graveyard um, doing everything yeah wherever they can stuff. get it yeah right so um, I think I think as on its own it's a standalone good movie and now the sequels We'll say that for another time, but as far as uh, well, with any slasher pick, if you're a horror fan, <laughs> enough this, go down. If you're a horror fan, this should be in your collection just from the the sheer historical value of it and mm-hmm. where horror movies came from. I I, I personally liked it, uh, but for obviously different reason than it just being a horror movie because the way that they went around it, I thought was really well done. Yeah, and perhaps my initial reaction could be like it just. It, I, I feel like it could it could be a movie that grows on me over time to where I want to fully on recommend it, but maybe it's like right now my my visual reaction to that watching that film for the first time ever is just like this is not for me at all. Well, not you only know. that, but but you know like their clothing and stuff is very seventies, seventies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it almost like, yeah. so like like for you who are, is a lot younger, a lot of those clothing things you're like man this this looks like it was is is, is old. You know what I mean? It's, old or hokey, right? Or like it, immature, it was, it was, it was like almost that. like. And like the camera shots were almost kind of like Blair Witchish, you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. the the camera shots could have probably been better at times, um, but there was a lot of good things that were taken away from this. And I thought the guy that played Leatherface, I thought it Hanson or whatever, he did a fantastic job. Uh, now Franklin, you, you, I just wanted him to die eventually because all he did was whine the entire <laughs> movie. <laughs> And he didn't die till like the end, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you know you had Sally. All she did was scream, probably halfway through. She's running around the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I thought I thought the guy that played the hitchhiker did a really good job. And I also think um, the the old man, not not the grandpa, but the uh, the 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 father, the actual father, yeah. the face and the, the the hitchhiker. Yeah, I thought he was pretty pretty good too. He was uh, probably actually the most realistically creepy one out of them because he had right the, because you he's the one that she ran back to to get help from, and then you mm-hmm. turned out that hey, he's driving her back to the old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like I said, this, this yeah, this definitely laid so much of the groundwork for slasher fix for good for better and for better and ill. Like like a lot of my problems with this movie are just my problems with all slasher movies in general. Where like for me, like I I feel like some of the subtext of sexual assault, especially prevalent in a lot of those films, that bothers me today. And uh, you now and unfortunately, I feel like too many films still lean on that. Even the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like when the father kind of like catches her and then tries to like chain her up and put her in the truck like that. It's all about trying to make her a victim in a way that's like 
kind of creepy. It is very, very creepy. And like well, a, that, and I thought it was really, really interesting. It was when she's uh, running out at the street at the end, and then the semi comes and just dem- demolishes the hitchhiker oh, yeah. guy. I was like, whoa, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was definitely um, out of nowhere. So, yeah, yeah I definitely say uh, if you're a horror movie fan, this should definitely be in your collection. Um, I mean, I think I bought the 40th edition version of it. Um, I don't know how many different versions. It's the most common version on sale right now. I don't think there's any other kind of version. Right. right So um, I enjoyed it. So, um, well, Kyle, what'd you dress up for for Halloween? You went as yourself. Oh, (laughs) you said a pumpkin. So, well, uh, join us next week. I'm not sure quite where we'll be going, but uh, we will be heading into November. So, who knows what's on the docket? So, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.